Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast. Our new off-season update and our Super Bowl 42 retrospective. With you, as usual, is Tycoon Wong, the editor-in-chief of Football Garbage Time. And with me on the line, as usual, is our senior staff writer, Ryan Whitfield. How you doing, Ryan? Doing great. How about you? Not too bad. So, you know, I, I can tell you that I'm excited, uh, not about football this week, although there's a lot of great football stuff to talk about, but about the fact that baseball season is here and my Cubs are back in action. Are you a, are you a big baseball guy? You know, uh, baseball baseball is right there at three A and three B with basketball. I'm a, I'm a much bigger, uh, you know, football one, hockey two for me. But you know, I do I do I do enjoy the beginning of the baseball season. It's you know it's the kickoff of the spring, so you know April is a great month for sports. So that the Masters, the draft, and the you know the two winter right. sports playoffs. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so obviously you still got the Bruins there. You still got the Celtics, both of which are probably going to make some noise in the postseason. And of course, you have uh, the Red Sox looking pretty good this year. So you guys have got a you guys got a bountiful basket of sporting goodness up there in Boston this time of year. Uh, but, um, but I only have one thing to be excited about. Well, I have two things to be excited about: the Blackhawks, which I got my fingers crossed, they're a little bit of slide recently. And of course, my Cubs. You know, it's a long season, but it's hard not to get excited with their early season pitch out. You know, it's a it's good time. So. Enough about baseball, because this podcast is about football, and we've got a lot of news to talk about today. We're going to be covering the uh, informa- uh, opinion. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I, could, I guess can't get past an intro about screwing up something. This is fantastic. The, all, the opi- all the rumors about Richard Sherman, about Marshawn Lynch, and then the information about Tony Romo and his retirement, and of course, a retrospective, another history lesson for all you out there. About this time, about Super Bowl 42, uh, another Super Bowl the New England Patriots, but with uh, but this time with different outcomes. So we got a lot to do here. So let's go ahead and get rolling. So the first thing I want to start off with is Richard Sherman. There's a lot of information floating around about Richard Sherman, and there's a lot of discussion about what's going to happen to him. He's been a significant and most and one of the most important parts of the Legion of Boom in Seattle over the years. He uh, was a fifth-round draft pick back in 2011, believe it or not, and has been with the Seattle Seahawks his entire time and has achieved a lot there. He was NFL interceptions leader in 2013, NFC Defensive Player of the Year in 2014, uh, he was in the Pro Bowl four times, 2013 to 2016. Obviously, he has that Super Bowl there in Seattle. He was three times first-team All-Pro from 2012 to 2014. I mean, the guy has done a lot. And, of course, he does Chunky Soup commercials, so that's always so interesting as well. But there's a lot of talk recently because there's a possibility that the New England Patriots may want to bring him in. There's a lot of rumors that are flying. The Seahawks have been talking about being open to trading him. And, of course, there's this kind of issue concerning whether Malcolm Butler will stay or go and whether that will prompt them to pick up another cornerback, in this case, perhaps Richard Sherman. So tell me, what do you think about Richard Sherman and the New England Patriots? Do you think that this is going to be a good match if they don't get Malcolm Butler 
And then on the flip side, if they do keep Malcolm Butler, is it worth bringing in someone like Richard Sherman? Yeah, so if you ask um, pretty much any Patriot fan about Richard Sherman, they'll call him a punk. Um, they'll talk about the 2-4, the 2-4 two, four, two, four thing he was doing in the, uh, the Super Bowl. They'll talk about the You Mad Bro incident. Um, I've talked to a lot of friends today who instantly said that they don't even care about the rumor. They don't want anything to do with him. Um, but with all due respect to all those, uh, you know, footsie-wearing, pajama, homers, um, sensitive Patriot fans and all my whiny friends, uh, you're all idiots. Because I would take Richard Sherman on this team right this second. You asked me if I would take him if they don't get if they, if they can't keep Malcolm Butler. I'm sending Malcolm Butler to Seattle for him. Sorry, I love Malcolm Butler and I love his story. You give me Richard Sherman every day. Um, he's a tone setter. He had a down year last year. He had knee injuries. Um, you know, people, especially from a Patriot perspective, um, you know, Malcolm Butler because it's only his third year. People think he's younger than he is. He's 28. Um, he, was a, he was an older rookie. Um, he had a lot of trouble in, in school, um, which made him a, you know, a, a much older guy coming out. Um, right. So you're, you're going one year up for a guy who's bigger, more physical, and a little bit better as a player. Um, even if it's only a 10% gap between the two, I still think Sherman's better. So, um, and if you, uh, you know, if you, swap, if you swap out from last year, Logan Ryan, Malcolm Butler, and your first-round uh, first picks, and you replace them with uh, Stephon Gilmore, Richard Sherman, and Brandon Cook. Well, yeah, I, I would take that any day of the week. Um, you know, if, right. if they do keep Butler, though, I don't bring in Sherman because between the contract of Gilmore, Sherman, and, you know, paying the tender of $3.5 million um, for Butler, now you're starting to get to way too much money at that position when it would be that. But, um, you know, I think I, I, the, the rumors have resurfaced again, and I'm all in. Yeah, so, why, so first of all, why am I surprised that we didn't make it past the first guy without you calling somebody an idiot. I love the fact that that's one the one thing, one main thing that we can count on in every show is that <laughs> at some point Ryan is going to call somebody an idiot. Uh, so at, at any rate, I, I agree with you. Uh, actually, I think that Richard Sherman is actually um, I think he's very very good. He's very strong. He's going to be a, a he could be a really good fit actually there. Um, and um, I don't see why he wouldn't make the move. He had the option to do it. I actually think he'd actually, I mean, aside from the contract and and uh, and and the issues with cap space, uh, I think it would be great if you could have both Malcolm Butler and Richard Sherman on the same team. I just, uh, but I do see there might be an issue there with um, we're trying to work that all out as far as cap space is concerned. But let me talk about you know what other places he could land because now it's obvious that the Seattle Seahawks are are, are willing to let Richard Sherman go. There's been some talk about the fact that maybe he can go elsewhere, one of which is the Atlanta Falcons, because, of course, Coach Dan Quinn was Sherman's defensive coordinator in Seattle, and they could use another corner opposite Desmond Trufant. So what do you think about that? Richard Sherman to the Atlanta Falcons. Does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. And then you factor in Alfred in the, in the spot there, and you have a, an amazing secondary there now. Um, you know, obviously familiar with the scheme, um, you know, Dan Quinn really hasn't changed anything. They pretty much run the same scheme. Um, you know, but to me, the reason why I mentioned the Malcolm Butler going back, you know, I know mm-hmm. it's a cornerback deep draft, but I know. I would just be surprised, you know, even if he did have a down year, even if he did have the incident on the sideline with uh, with Pete Carroll last year. You know, he's the heart and soul of that defense. So, you know, I, I if I'm the Seahawks, I'm not trading him just for a pick. You know, I kind of want, you know, a corner swap, and I think that's why the Pats are the ideal partner there. Um, but as far from, a, you know, a Falcons perspective, if I'm Atlanta, I think that's a great fit. I mean, 
He's my favorite defensive back in the league. So you you can't throw a team out to me that I wouldn't say sign him. I don't care who you have. I, I would take right. Richard Sherman on my team and pair him with whoever, get rid of whoever, do what you have to do to make it work. Yeah, I think with the Falcons it makes particular sense, though, because really that's one place where they really could improve. I mean, their offense is pretty much set. They don't have to do anything on offense at this point. But their defense could use a little bit of improvement in the secondary, and this would be, this would really vault them up there to being potential NFC favorites to return to the Super Bowl, and I think that would be a really big, big move for them. Now, uh, keep in mind, Seattle Seahawks, if they were to trade him, they'd clear $11.4 million in cap space, so they give him some room to really kind of make some deals with the offseason. And, uh, you know, Richard Sherman, although he was kind of laughing off this uh, trade rumors only a week and a half ago, said uh, at the end of last week that, quote, I wouldn't want to leave this city and my guys, but I understand it's a business and their organizational philosophies change. So he is clearly open to being traded now. And I think that going to a contender like the Falcons or the Patriots makes it pretty much a, an easy decision on, uh, on his part to just kind of you know go ahead and do it. So ultimately, I think this will be a, a good move. I think if he stays in Seattle, he'll be great. I think if he ends up with the Falcons or Patriots, he'll be, he'll be great there too. So this is a win-win for Richard Sherman. All right, so that's it for Richard Sherman. Let's go ahead and ring the bell and move on to the next person we want to talk to, uh, talk about, I should say, and that's Marshawn Lynch. Now, we haven't talked about Beast Mode in a while, obviously, because he was retired. Remember that? He had that Twitter post where he had his kind of sneakers on a wire and, like, saying, hey, guys, I'm walking away from the game. Well, it turns out he may not be walking away from the game because it turns out he wants to go play for his hometown team, the Oakland Raiders. Now, he obviously is still under contract with the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks probably would, uh, would let him go, you know, and I think they're, they're willing to trade him. Uh, if he unretires, uh, I don't know if they want to release him. I think they want to get some value out of it. They did okay his visit for the Oakland Raiders recently. Uh, that was actually just uh, earlier today that he visited with the Raiders. And uh, it looks like that there's it's getting more serious. It's getting much more serious. And Marshawn Lynch himself said that it's basically Oakland or bust. And he does implant. He does plan to unretire. So that really only leaves one spot for him. So tell me, what do you think about Marshawn Lynch? I mean, that, people tend to forget, I think, that Marshawn Lynch was drafted in 2007 in the same class as Adrian Peterson. He was actually the 12th overall pick in that in that class. Adrian Peterson was the seventh overall pick, and he was just as much in the spotlight as Adrian Peterson, but just had a, a rough go of it uh, while he was in Buffalo being misused and miscast there uh, and eventually finding himself cut and being an incredible find for Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. So what do you think about Marshawn Lynch unretiring, going to the Oakland Raiders? How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, he was on the downswing um, before he retired. Um, you know, really body taking a lot of toll over the years, especially the way he runs, physical guys, broken down. Um, like you said, you know, drafted the same years. Adrian Peterson saw the same age concerns, you know, the, the, the tired old number we all know is the age, age of 30. He's on the wrong side of it. Um, with that said, I love it. Um, you know, I think you can kind of tell through the podcast over the, over the two years here and uh, even today's podcast, I'm a closet Seahawks fan. Um, I love Marshawn Lynch, and I think he's yeah. good for the game of football. Um, and if nothing else, come back for a couple more, uh, you know, entertaining, uh, you know, clips there, um, right. you know, for, for nostalgia purposes. And, 
you know they have yeah they have a couple you know, obviously you know probably a running back by committee there so you wouldn't you wouldn't have to carry the whole load um, and obviously you know they're a pass first team so um, I think you could spot him and use him in a lot of goal line situations and um, he could be a nice finisher at the goal line for you so I think it's I think it's worth a try um, you got to fill the Latavius Murray gap somehow. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that the uh, Latavius Murray gap definitely does need uh, filling, and he is a, a good option for a running back by committee, which is what he'd be stepping into. I mean, let's keep in mind that, as you said, he does have some wear and tear because of his very physical running style. He does have the age-related concerns, although he basically didn't play all he didn't play all of last year, and he basically didn't play uh, the previous year as well due to injuries. So he does have some time. As long as he's in condition, football shape, he can be very effective. And keep in mind, if you look back, aside from that 2015 year where he suffered from injury, he, uh, he did play in 16 games in the previous three years and 15 games in 2011 and exceeded 1,200 rushing yards in each of those seasons and exceeded 11 touchdowns in each of those seasons. So he's a very effective runner. He's only a couple of years past that, and of course he's had a year and a half to be on the men. If the uh, Raiders can get him, I think that will do a lot for them because that's something that Derek Carr can really benefit from is a grinding, up-the-middle, downhill running style running back. Someone who can move the chains four, five, six yards on first down and make his life a little bit easier. So I do think that this would be really interesting. And uh, quite frankly, I agree with you. I think Marshawn Lynch is this is pure entertainment. I love Marshawn Lynch. I hope he comes back. I think it'll be fun and good for the NFL. All right, so let's go ahead and ring the bell on that. And let's talk about the next guy on our list, and that is a Mr. Tony Romo. He has been all over the rumor mill recently because of the fact that it was originally reported that he was going to be released by the Cowboys and then enter free agency. Then the Cowboys held on to him trying to drive up his trade value. They tried to get a trade done with the Denver Broncos and the and or the Houston Texans. The Broncos basically said they had no interest in him. They wanted to develop Trevor Simeon. They wanted to develop Paxton Lynch. Um, and, and Elway said he didn't want him. So basically that seemed like it was by the wayside. But the Texans looked like they were in a prime spot to pick up Romo, not only because geographically they're right there, but also because they had every, basically every component they needed but a quarterback. Now, Tony Romo has had 13 years in the league and has done all sorts of terrific things. He uh, has the fourth best career passer rating of any quarterback in NFL history, higher pass, a higher career passer rating than Peyton Manning, than Kurt Warner, by Steve Young, and by Joe Montana, and actually only .1 below the current career passer rating of another great quarterback, Tom Brady. So, uh, you know, he's in good company. He's in really good company. Um, he's done a lot when he was there as a four-time Pro Bowler. You know, the only thing you can really say about him is that, well, he had some trouble in the postseason. But quite a character, and he's now left that, and he's going to be the lead color commentator on CBS for football and is likely to do some commentating for golf as well. So what do you think about this? What do you, remember, what do you think about Tony Romo's career? And what do you think about his decision to retire and go into broadcasting? Yeah, so um, I think Tony Romo is the quintessential, uh, you know, the, the poster boy for my, my campaign that stats are for losers. Um, you know, I'll, I'll ask you right now, and I'll see, because there's been a question floating around on the radio around here the last couple of days. 
Yeah, uh, most people have the same answer, so I'm just going to test you real quick. If I ask you to remember, if I ask, if I say Tony Romo, what is the first play you think of? The first play? Uh, I'm going to say the uh, the yeah. muffed field goal. Where? Yeah. Is that is that what and everybody that's been says? Everybody's. And that's yeah. everybody's. And that's and that's Tony Romo in a nutshell. Um, someone actually referenced it the other day. I forgot about this game. Um, the the 51-48 shootout between the the Cowboys and the uh, the Broncos in 2013, the regular season. It was the game that after, in the, at the end of the game, that um, uh, Jerry Jones said it was the best quarterback game he'd ever seen. Um, that Tony Romo and Tony Romo had like a 120 rating. He threw for 500 something yards. He had five touchdowns and one interception. But the one interception was the Devaney, was the uh, Danny Trevathan to set up the game-winning field goal. So, you know, right. that's Tony Romo in a nutshell. You know, he, he can sling the ball over the yard, but he's a born loser. It's why, you know, a couple of times he almost qualified. Wow, born loser. Um, Jeez. All right. What was it? The PGA Tour Championship. He came close in a couple of times, but every Sunday um, <laughs> on, on the final round, he would uh, he'd keep down his leg. He's just – he's not a clutch guy. He's not a winner. Um, at the end of the day, I, don't, I could give two crafts what your stats are. I like winners. He's not a winner. Um, but with that, I would say – he has given me the greatest gift ever, and that is that I never hopefully have to hear Phil Simms announce another football game again. So for uh, that, I can kiss him on the lips. So thank you so much for retiring. <laughs> so I don't have to listen to that unopinionated, never said a bad word about anybody, no balls, uh, you know, bag of crap. He wasn't even a good quarterback. So I don't know why Phil Simms is ever telling me anything about football. But uh, so thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, for Tony, Tony, for that. Um, with that said, though, last thing. I don't know that he's going to be great in the broadcast booth. I mean, can you ever think of a Tony Romo interview that, that wasn't kind of vanilla or kind of bland? He's not, he's not a strong personality. He was, uh, you know, he's the most, the most interesting, you know, most interesting post game I've ever seen uh, involving Tony Romo was T.O. crying over him. So, um, you know, that coupled with the fact that he just left the league and uh, he actually, uh, the CBS has the Cowboys Thanksgiving game next year. Um, is he going to say oh, one critical word if the Cowboys make any mistakes? Is he, gonna, is he actually going to be unbiased and impartial? He's friends with too many people in the league. He's still too connected in the league. Um, I don't think it's going to work great. I don't understand why they like him so much except for the fact that I would want those thumbs out. So. Well, you keep in mind that, and I know you say stats are crap, but you know he did have the most passing yards and most passing touchdowns in Cowboys history, believe it or not. Um, he's done. He has done quite a bit, but yeah, you know, when you when he walks away from the game, you know, he's never really been able to pull through in those critical moments, you know. And and there are a lot of other quarterbacks, you know, you want to make a comparison, and this is particularly relevant today, is if you compare him against Eli Manning, I think that you will see that his stats blow Eli out of the water. But Eli has two Super Bowl rings, and and you know. Romo has never been to the Super Bowl, so you know it, it does say something. Now you go on and, and say about what's gonna what's life gonna be like as a color commentator. First of all, let me just say, retirement was the right move for Tony Romo. He has had so many injuries, like critically bad injuries, you know, clavicle, knee, you know, ankle, all these things, shoulder, you know, all these things that are going to be problems in the future for him from a you know quality of life perspective. And if you don't if you don't have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl coming back in the next one to two years, because that's really the length of time that Romo would be relevant as a quarterback, if even the first year back, then why come back? Why bother? He's gonna make a he's gonna make a mint uh, talking uh, doing do color commentating um, at CBS. 
and being the number one color commentator is like a big deal. I mean, <laughs> you don't want us to know any stats. You just have to be a color commentator. You just have to talk about football. I mean, heck, we do that all the time. I would take that job in a heartbeat. And I, I can guarantee you he's not going to get any injuries. Well, I don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure he's not going to get injured in the box uh, commentating him on a game, although it would be funny if it actually happened at some point. But I think he actually does have some potential. I think that he was all, oftentimes overly political uh, when he was uh, interviewed, when he was a player, trying to be nice to everybody, trying to, to appease everyone, trying to appease Jerry Jones, trying to appease the Cowboys organization, trying to appease all the players on the team. I think that we'll see for, we'll see the real Romo, and if that's the real Romo, he's not going to be successful on CBS, but if the real Romo is someone who can be a true color commentator and an unbiased true color commentator, then he could, I could see it. I mean, he, he looks like he might have the personality for it. So, but I, I will say retiring was the right move. Going back and joining the Houston Texans would have been the wrong move. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about Tony Romo before we move on to our uh, our game, our history lesson of the week? No, I just, you know, just that I, I agree with you. It was the right move because he's got a clavicle made of gap, a glass. So um, hopefully, right. you know, he said he's not going to get injured in the booth. I hope they have a, you know, they have a nice piece of glass in front of him up there so that, you know, a strong gust of wind doesn't shatter that. Thing <laughs> right, right. So, all right. So, uh, let's go ahead and ring the bell on Mr. Tony Romo. And let's move it on to the uh, final topic of the day, our favorite time of every podcast, and that's our history lesson time. We're going to be talking about Super Bowl 42. And, of course, the New England Patriots and the New York Giants battled it out in this one. And unlike the last couple Super Bowls that we talked about, this one had a slightly different ending, but a very, very memorable one. February 3rd, 2008, this was actually a, uh, a very interesting game because it had one of the largest spreads between teams in the Super Bowl of all time, as the Patriots were favored by over two scores. Uh, the final the final score for all those who are keeping track was 17 to 14, so you can imagine most of the game wasn't really that exciting. Uh, Eli was Eli. He made some plays, very, very long drives, took a lot of time off the clock, got intercepted when he got close. He really was what we expected to happen until we got to the fourth quarter and things really kind of took off. And, of course, everyone remembers the helmet catch. Everyone remembers Michael Burris. And everyone remembers that with 20 seconds left at the end of the game, being scared that Tom Brady can still score in 20 seconds. So, there was a lot going on here, and then, of course, this was the undefeated season for the New England Patriots as well. So there was a lot, a lot of news lines coming out of this particular game. But let me ask you, Ryan, what do you remember most about Super Bowl 42, and what was your big takeaway from that game? Yeah, so I had, like, four quick takeaways or four key plays I remember. Um, w- one thing I did want to say off the, off the top here, um, you know, because I think a lot of you outside, um, you know, and for a lot of reasons that I have stated for – a long time. A lot of them are justifiable. The arrogance of the organization, um, of the coach, to the quarterback, to everybody. All of our fans. I think you guys all took a lot of pleasure um, in our perfect season being ruined that year, and uh, it's understandable. Um, but you know, in a non-joking manner, um, and I know I tend to use hyperbole, but I promise this is not hyperbole. I don't care who you've lost in your family. I don't care what tragedies you've been attached to. You have never felt pain like I felt that night. That was wow, the darkest moment of my course. life. I, I have 
I, I had a Bill Belichick hoodie that the one he wore that year. I, I burnt, I lit that thing on fire. Um, I think I, I think I threw it in the mouth as the, as the seconds ticked down. Um, it was, it was the most devastating moment of my life. Um, but with that said, yeah, the helmet catch um, is an important play. Um, but there's four, there was four key plays that really, you know, the last one's not a key play, but you know, there's three really key things that kind of led us to that point. Um, a, you know, anyone around here who would still take Randy Moss over Rob Gronkowski, um, and there are people because, again, stats are for losers, um, and, you know, people don't like to measure heart. Um, I actually went back, unfortunately, in 2011 and, re- and watched the whole replay of the 07 Super Bowl, which is the first time I watched even a single highlight of it. Um, I tried to purge myself before the 2011 Super Bowl um, just to find out that I was never going to watch that one again either. Um, and I go back and I watch it. And when the Patriots go up 14-10 late in that game, it is because that on that drive, Randy Moss, for the first time, maybe in his life, but definitely in that game, was willing to go over the middle and run slant routes. All they did was take right. him out on the outside. And he, and he was allergated arming everything in the first three quarters over the middle. He wanted no part of it because he doesn't. He was never the guy that would lay it all out on the line to win. So he is, he is, he is highly, highly, highly to blame for that last time. Second play, Asante Samuel, before the helmet catch, has a pick blatantly on the sideline and drops it right in his hand. Um, he, uh, you know, if you, if you remember the play, he actually looks down at his feet to make sure he's going to tap his feet in, takes his eyes off the ball, and drops the ball. Two plays, it was either the next play or two plays later that the, that the helmet catch happened. So, um, yeah, that's right. I remember that now. Um, Yep. And so I know, and I love Desante Samuel, but he he choked right there. Um, the third big play is on the coaching staff. Why the hell was Ellis freaking Hobbs in single coverage on Plexico Burris on that play? If anybody can tell me why a, a glorified kick returner, who who is one of my <laughs> least favorite corners in the history of the New England Patriots, was was one on one with a six foot five Plexico Burris, uh, you know, absolutely inexcusable. And that was the game-winning touchdown, obviously. And then the last play, right. just a little last salt in the wound, was Brady gets the ball back. We all have in our heads, like you just said, you know, there's always a shot when Tom Brady, and he throws on a, the first or second play through a long flyer out. And for the first time all game, Randy had gotten behind um, the, the secondary, and the ball goes just right. off his fingertips. It was just a little outstretched, just past him. And it's like, if he catches that, and that's how you win that game, um, it's amazing. But at the end of the day, okay. as you said, as you said, as you gone through these, you win the ones you're supposed to, you lose the ones you're supposed to. And at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if they win that one, they probably didn't come back against Atlanta this year. So, you know, I'll take the train. Right, right. And, of course, don't forget that in that last sequence uh, when uh, when Brady took over and was on, their, uh, on the Patriots' 26 to 29 seconds left, on second down, he also was sacked by Jay Alford. That was a 10-yard loss right there. Now, not that that would make a huge difference because, quite frankly, give or you know, plus or minus 10 yards is not going to make a difference in a long pass to Randy Moss. But, you know, that was kind of a tone setter at that point that he was able to get over there and sack Brady. And, and you know, it was, and I can tell you that even then, even then, because I remember having a Super Bowl party and I had both Patriots and Giants fans in here. Giants fans were more worried about the game at that point, even on third down, than uh, than Patriots fans. So you know that, that's the thing. You know I think it just goes to show what type of uh, what type of uh, of uh, weapon Tom Brady is, what uh, what kind of respect that people had about of, of Randy Moss, even though you, as you said he wasn't going across the middle when he should have all game long. But that was a pretty spectacular season for the Patriots anyway. I mean they 
broke all sorts of offensive records there. That Brady the Moss connection was un, just completely unbeatable. Um, and of course, Wes Welker, uh, he was just like the uh, one of the most reliable uh, receivers in the NFL, and, and actually kind of set a uh, he tied a Super Bowl record there uh, with 11 catches for 103 yards. So that was actually up, up to that point at least. So that was actually. You know, there's a lot of offense there, but it all, all of it ended up being in the second half of the game. So that basically brings us to the end. But I do want to raise one more thing. I will mention this. A friend of mine in Boston actually went skiing last week. And lo and behold, guess who we saw up there on the mountain? None other than Bill Belichick. And you know what he was wearing? Take a guess as to what he was wearing on the slopes. I'm going to go with a hoodie and a headband. <laughs> That's exactly right. Actually, he, he didn't even bother with the headband. He just had a hoodie. <laughs> he just had a, he had a <laughs> hoodie on. And, and I asked him, so what was he like? Turns out he's a really uh, fun guy to hang out with. He was talking to everybody. He was uh, really having a good time and going around and shaking people's hands and really just kind of being one of the guys. And, uh, and I, was, I was a little bit amazed by that. So I feel that his on-field persona is a little bit of an on-field persona, you know, that he actually oh, is yeah, doing that. Cause he's a, I don't think it's on-field. He just uh, he he hates the media. He thinks the media is the scum of the earth. So um, right. anybody else in the world will talk your ear off. If you ever watch the, un- the, the mic'd up stuff, he's really personable. Yeah. He just, he, ha- he hates the media. So. Right, right. So that, so there you go. So I, 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 can, I can tell you that. I was newfound respect for, uh, for Bill Belichick. Uh, aside from being one of the greatest minds in football. Okay, that takes us to the end of the this episode. And uh, why don't you give us your your uh, Twitter account and Instagram so people can follow you. Yeah, Instagram is football underscore garbage underscore time. And my Twitter handle is at Ryan Whitfield NE. And I'll be making my next pick in our mock draft in the next uh, five minutes here. That's right. Everyone follow around. Hashtag FGT Mock Draft on Twitter. We'll be drafting the entire first round, and then we're going to compile that, and you'll see it on the website by early next week. Our Mock Draft, all our staff, all our analysts kind of putting their minds to bear on who's going to get picked when. Definitely check that out, and then we'll we'll see you next week. And the next podcast, we'll be doing more of the same, but a lot more information coming your way. Enjoy your football week. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.